Follow along with me in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3, going through the book of 1 Peter. We're in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject, submit to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Peter loves that word, um, imperishable. Which, beauty in a gentle, quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. One of the reasons we do expository preaching here at King's is to deal with passages that some people may not want to talk about or be able to even look at and deal with. So we're going we're gonna to deal with wives and husbands uh, head on as I, as I usually do. Okay? Let me bring everybody up to speed really quickly. Peter is writing this letter. We're going through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. He's writing this letter to a bunch of believers that are living in what we know as modern-day Turkey but was Asia Minor in that day. The letter was written to these churches. They were both uh, filled, the churches were filled with both Gentiles, non-Jews, and Jewish people in the churches. Uh, written to us in around the mid-60s. Um, not the wood sm- uh, Woodstock bowl smoking 60s. We're talking about 60s A.D., just for you Woodstock throwbacks. 60 A.D. These churches were suffering for the faith. They had taken a stand for Jesus, and at many levels they were being persecuted. Um, in a very short years, Nero, the emperor of Rome, would, would conduct a, a, a persecution that's really unprecedented and just persecuting and, and tormenting Christians. That's coming. This is on the heels of that. This is on the, the uh, morning of that. And then Peter, in a very pastoral way, is writing to the churches to encourage them. To, 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 to stand firm in the Word, to trust God, to walk in obedience, to, to grow in their, in, their, in their love for Him, and, and particularly in, in suffering and, and persecution that they are enduring. Chapter 1 opens with reminding us, and it's important even for today, that we are exiles, we are foreigners in this land. This is not our home. We're passing through this broken, twisted, sinful, fallen world. We need to remember that. And that God, because of His great mercy, had caused us to be born again, to to have His Spirit dwelling within us, and that our salvation has been secured. It's, It's imperishable by the omnipotent power of God. Our home is not only imperishable, but it's undefiled and unfading, he says. And he says, therefore, our responsibility is to live holy lives. God saved us by the work of the Father, Son, and Spirit. We are to respond with a life that is holy. That means separate from sin, devoted to God. The end of chapter 2, Peter takes this responsibility that we have further. And he says, you ought to love each other in the church earnestly from a pure heart. That's the responsibility before God, before 
each other. Then he moves and says we have a responsibility to live in a tension that we find ourselves in, living in dual citizenship. He says in one side of tension, verse 9 of chapter 2, we're a chosen people, a priesthood, a nation, a holy nation, a people that belong and are, have the possession of God's people. And with that tension, the other side is to verse 12 of chapter 2, keep your conduct. So we're separate unto God, we're His people, we are a holy people, we are a chosen people, but we are to conduct our lives, live our lives, verse 12, among the Gentiles, so that it's honorable, so that we, it's honorable that when they see our evil deeds and they speak about our evil deeds, they may see the good that we do, the good deeds, loving God, loving Jesus, loving them, and glorify God. And we to live in this tension, verse 9 says, chapter 2, verse 9, if you're following me, The reason is so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous lights. We live in attention unto God in the world for His glory so that we may proclaim to the world the glorious goodness and mercy of God. We like calling it living life together. We like calling it living as good missionaries in deed and demonstration. Right? Word and deed. Demonstration. Declaration. We don't, we don't try to escape the culture by separating ourselves. We don't emulate the culture and, and just going along the same old way and all the sinful practices. We are to engage the culture for the cause of Christ. Learning to love people, understanding their hopes and dreams and connecting them and pointing them to Jesus. Last week we saw Peter move from the general application of this tension of being good missionary to living a life of Submission. Submission. Here it goes up, right? Authority. Like, whoop, time out. What are we, what are we talking here? And he says, you know what? We, 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 we live in dual citizenship. We are first to submit to King Jesus and then submit to governing authorities we saw last week, even submitting to our bosses when they are unjust. Today we're going to see how all this rolls into marriage. But before I do, I just want to mention one thing. As we Just kind of a piggyback from last week. Peter is writing to a church in Asia Minor, churches in Asia Minor, the body of, body of Christ, the people of God, in many cases that are in situations that there are no escape. The government was the law of the whole world, right? No leaving on a jet plane, don't know when I'm coming back again. It's just, it didn't work that way in those days. Servants of households, although they were slightly higher, we talked about that last week, as, as, as the common slave, they were still property of their master, there was no three years of unemployment, I quit, I'm out of here. Right, it didn't work. Or four years, whatever we're up to right now, okay, of unemployment. It didn't work that way. So we need to keep in mind the general principles of the text while applying it to our situation. Last week we said that being submissive to the government and being submissive to your unjust boss has some limitations. If we're asked or mandated to do something that is sin or asked or mandated not to do something that is sin, clearly taught in Scripture, we are to what? Obey God, not man. But I think the principle that Peter's really pointing out is that we are never to do is do anything from a vengeful and vindictive spirit. As Peter said, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Some folks, and I'm one of them, like to be told exactly what to do in this exact circumstance. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. We have to search the Scriptures, know the explicit teaching and principles of Scripture, talk about it with our community group. God will lead you for His glory, your joy, and your sanctification. So we've had some awesome discussions this week. 
I know some of you did and some of you have called me. You know, what happens here? What happened there? What about, you know, this is what the Scripture says. Submit to governing authorities. We're never to be vengeful. We're never to take matters into our own hands in that sense. It's tough. But remember this. Our first allegiance, as much as I love this country, our first allegiance is to King Jesus and His kingdom. It's just the way it is. That's just the way it is if you call yourself a Christian. So, with that, two headings today. The responsibility of the wise, chapter one, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. You guys have six verses. You're welcome. The responsibility of the husband, his behavior, his barrier. That's kind of the outline we're going. Two main points, two subpoints. We have one verse. Probably because we can't remember a whole lot. It could be. I'm not really sure. There's a lot of discussion, by the way. You know, it's funny because you read, you read, I'm reading all week long, and, and it's funny that people like want to argue why the women have six verses, the man only has one. And I'm like, I, I think we missed the point if we really get into it. Um, but I do think women had it much harder in that culture. They have it today too, but much harder in that culture. And Peter wants to really thoroughly address them other than like, you guys slap, get it right, you know, we're done, you know, just move on. So uh, I don't really know, but I know you have six verses and we have one, I think. Probably we don't remember a whole lot. One thing at a time, right? So anyway, so that's where we're going. That's our outline. So turn in your Bibles and I will read you ladies, sweet ladies of the church, favorite verse. Chapter 3, verse 1. Okay, got it tattooed on your ankle just in case. Written all over your bathroom window with notes and verses and all kinds. It sings like a song. Let's sing it together. Likewise, wives... Be subject or submissive to your own husbands. Okay? Likewise, as you've been saying all along, Peter, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Unfortunately, what that means is submit to your husbands. I know that's a stretch, a contextual stretch, but it, that's really what it says. Remember, it was written to exiles, to foreigners, to people who are under King Jesus, people who call themselves Christians. So if the world mocks that, if the world does not embrace that, if the world is going against that, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. If you're here and you don't love Jesus and somebody brought you here and you're like, oh my word, that I just said back in 1910. You did not. Um, you're actually going back 2,000 years when Peter wrote this letter. And, you know, we understand because we're under King Jesus. We're under different rules. We're under a different kingdom. And we follow a different ruler. His name is Jesus. So that, that you know, we've got to keep that in mind. Again, we talk about submission. We talk about authority. Right? We need to, you know, be careful. We're not coming up out of our seats. And some of you are thinking, you know what? I hate authority. And if you're thinking I hate authority, that's because you're probably in rebellion. Let's be honest. You're probably in rebellion. And like Adam, we all have this rebellious nature that wants to be and do our own thing, be our own God, be our own lords, and, and want to do what we think we ought to do. Some of you, unfortunately, have been abused by leadership, that have been abused by authority. Some of you have had dumb, frustrated ridiculous husbands talk about leadership and headship like at the worst time in the marriage, right? I understand that. It doesn't negate the Word of God. So what we need to do is see 
hear, repent. But let me, let, me, let me just say something generally about wives and submission. Adrian Rogers, great definition on marriage, submission in marriage. He says, submission is one equal, voluntary, placing themselves under another equal that God may therefore be glorified. It's been taught, unfortunately, that when one submits to another, it conveys weaknesses. That someone is weak in character or, or they lose some value and some dignity or, or, or some per, their own personality. You become like a doormat. Our culture today uses words for submit, particularly in our home, synonymously with inferiority or oppression or, or victimization or being second class. That when one submits, it immediately infers those thoughts and those, those ways of, of, of handling uh, submission. And, and it can't be true. I'm going to challenge you. That can't be true. Maybe it's true in some circumstances, but not true according to Scripture. Okay? In Deuteronomy 6.4, it's called the Shema, memorized by every Jew, stated several times throughout the day. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Echad. It's plural. It expresses unity in oneness. As we know from the lips of Jesus, He said, I only say what the Father has told me to say. I only do what the Father has told me to do. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, Not my will be done, but thine be done. So if God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ are one and equal without a loss of personality, they're eternal, they're equal in value and essence, and yet Jesus submits to the Father... Yet each one had a particular role and function in salvation. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Yet they're co-equal, yet there is submission. Different roles, different functions. Why can't we have that in marriage? We can. Marriage is two equal partners, left and right hand, working together in their God-given roles. Okay, It's not dominated or dominating. It's right hand, left hand, cooperating and cooperating in the roles and the functions which God, it does not demean, it does not bring less value or, uh, against anyone. Wives, according to uh, Ephesians 5, we'll look at that later as well, says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Call to submit and function within roles in a marriage. Some might say, that's easy for you to say, you have never met my husband. He's like the third person on the evolution chart. I know. But this is what the Scripture says, and this is what God wants. Now, remember, when Peter wrote this, think for a minute. When Peter wrote this, women who became Christians, who are devout followers of Christ, are married to men, we're going to talk about this, who were not Christians. In that culture... There was no, like, higher education. There was no, you know, um, they couldn't own property. There was no, you know, political office they could hold. They didn't testify in court. So when they become Christians, they're supposed to do everything and follow everything their husbands into their pagan culture, into their pagan religion, into their pagan worship. Now, as a Christian, she's got to say, I, I can't do that at great cost. More than we could know or imagine. At great cost. And even in that, he says, wives, be in subjection, be in submission to your husbands. First Timothy, uh, Paul teaches young Timothy that it's not about culture, it's about creation. It's the order that God has declared. Today, some Christian women submit to their husbands only when it's convenient. 
Things are going my way. I agree with you on this one. It doesn't count. <laughs> Submission to your husband counts when there's disagreement. When everything's going your way, it's not really submission in the truest sense. Women can't pick and choose where I will journey with my husband, where I won't journey with my husband, where I put my foot down and I fail to go. Now, of course, when you hear that, say, what about? I get that. I think the principle is true about government and your unjust boss. Asking anything of your wife that is sin, asking anything for them to do or not do that is commanded in Scripture, at that junction they ought to obey God. Submission does not mean putting your husband in the place of Jesus. Submission does not mean a wife should give in to sinful demands of her husband. Never follow him into sin. His job is to protect, provide, and care for her. No husband should ask his wife in any way to demean her or to degrade her. The important thing here is that submission of one human being to another human being is not absolute. We don't replace Christ okay, over her. Her ultimate authority is Jesus. Okay? God the Father, 1 Corinthians 11, is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of the man. The man is the head of, of the woman. There is order. But there's a higher authority that the finality is Christ is the head. But if we're honest, ladies, I want to be honest. If, if you think, you know what, that's not true, that's okay. But to the, some of you, the issue isn't that. It's rebellion. It's rebellion. It's wanting things your way. It, 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 and submission defined is, is this, that God is asking ladies to do in a marriage is an inner quality of gentleness that affirms the husband's leadership and ultimately is in obedience to Christ. As she submits to Jesus, she submits to her husband. Okay? Now, you can have a very outgoing personality. You could, you could be a lot of fun, kind of loud and boisterous. I think that's a type A personality. And still be submissive to your husbands. You could be quiet. Not really, you know, uh, type B, I guess they call that. Personality. And be in rebellion in the inner person. Because it's really about the heart. It's really about a willingness to hear from God and to willingness to submit to Christ to your husband in honor and glory of Jesus so that it reflects the gospel in which you claim to love and treasure. Submission does not mean that you have no thoughts or cares or not allowed to speak at all. That, you know, hey, uh, you guys want to go? I don't know, ask him. You know, that's, not, that's not what submission means. It's not mean that you're less smart. Most of us guys would, if we're honest, admit that. Uh, but it's it's an heart issue. It's a willingness to submit to Christ and submit to your husband as the head leader of the home. Now, what does that look like when a woman is married to an unbeliever? Okay? And Peter gets into that, to that behavior. What does it look like in her behavior? It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. Notice what it doesn't say, ladies. Men. It doesn't say all women should submit to all men. That's not what it says. Just like it doesn't say all slaves should submit to their masters, to your wife. Some guys think, you know what, I'm a man, you're a woman, that's automatic. No, that's stupid, okay? It doesn't say that. To your own husbands, all right? So that even if some do not obey the word, they're not Christians, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, by their behavior when they see 
your respectful and pure conduct. Notice what it says. It doesn't say he will be one to Christ. He said that he may be one to Christ. I know several people that are married that are, that are in a, a relationship or in a marriage and one's a believer and one's not a believer. Right? And some will come to faith, some will not come to faith. But 1 Corinthians 7 tells us that if you find yourself in that predicament, it's really clear. Love them. Serve them. No grounds for divorce. That's what it says. 1 Corinthians 7.13 Any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And I would think what Peter's saying here is, and what Paul has said in clear in his verse is that this is for women and for men to some degree if you find yourself in that predicament. We don't live in such a way, in such a sinful way, that we are provoking them to anger. You know what? We're provoking them to be, you know, discontent in the marriage and, and angry in the marriage and, and all along thinking, you know what? I'll just drive him crazy so that he leaves. That's, that's sinful. That's not biblical. And some of you women laugh because you're like, I know exactly how to do that, right? No, we're commanded to love, to live, and to serve, and to reflect Jesus in that marriage. Whether it's living life together, whether it's, whether it's sexual, whether it's emotional, stay in the marriage, live for Jesus. That's what he says. Wives are commanded to live a life of submission, respect, and their behavior is to be a pure conduct. That means without sin. So you just can't say, you know what? I'm going to put it out there. Don't touch me, and after about four years, you'll get tired of it. You know what I mean? we're, We're not supposed to sin. We're supposed to love. We're supposed to show Jesus in our behavior. Okay? It does not mean, again, that we are to renounce our faith if our spouses ask us to. It does not mean that if your, ask, your husband asks you to sin, you should go ahead and sin. It does not mean that you must always agree with him and never present a differing view. It does not mean that if he is unfaithful to you, you are left without any biblical recourse. It does not mean that if he abuses you physically or through relentless verbal humiliation, you must remain quiet in the home and accept the daily cruelty of that relationship. Men do not have innate authority, but derived authority. Okay? There's the law they have to obey. Men, if you're a Christian and you're here, my Bible tells me, and we'll get to that, that you need to submit to the authority of the church. Ladies, you can call the church. Let the men, let the elders deal with him. So there, there are recourses. There are cases that, in which wives, for the good of their husband and children, ought to take action against abuse. Okay? It's not what he's saying. I need to say that. But it does not mean that wives are to... But it does mean that wives are always to respect their husbands, submissive attitude and spirit, and if it is not sin, with their whole heart, submit to the husband's leadership. Peter doesn't give every scenario. I mean, if Peter were to give every scenario and give ladies and men who are living with unbelieving spouse, but mostly women here, every scenario what to do, we need an 18-wheeler to come pulling in. There's just no way that would happen. There's just no way that would happen. But let me say, if, if you're a wife, you're married to an unbeliever, experiencing difficulties, hardships, you may not have explicit answers, but I, I will tell you, you need to get in community group. You need to get with other godly women. You need to get in with the community of godly women and, and get in the Word, 
talk, share, look at Scripture, pray together. Right? I mean, some answers are pretty easy. Never go to church again. Well, I have to obey God. I get that. But how much time should you be spending in church? I know someone that used to, that was married to an unbeliever, and all they did was stay at the church 24-7. I think that's sin. Am I spending too much time with other believers and neglecting my husband? It's a question you have to ask. Things like money and, and, and the talents God has given you. How much should I give? How much should I do? Where should I get plugged in? How do I prioritize my life around my home, my husband, while being faithful to Jesus? Those are, those are real questions. When do I speak up? When is enough is enough? What about adultery? How about the spiritual loneliness that I feel? Those are real serious questions. It takes balance. Remember, in Peter's day, women came to faith, they were kicked to the curb. I mean, they had no one. And so, with an attitude and a spirit of respect and obedience, we allow, now listen, we allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God, along with the people of God, to help you know the will of God. To know what it is you need to do. Ladies, if you're in a circumstance like that, you can't make the decision in isolation. I promise you, you're too caught up. Let other godly women help you, serve you that way, and help you see clearly what it is God wants you to do. But our behavior must be respectful and submissive. And here's the thing. This is what he says. He says that we are to hope, but not to demand. We hope that our conduct, our love, our humility, our... our uh, uh, faithfulness, our, our uh, submission, will lead the person to Christ. That's the hope, that God will use my life as a, as a declaration, almost like a, a wordless sermon, if I can use that term, to show Jesus to him, right? So it means don't run around and leave a thousand tracks around the house, slip one under his eggs, over, you know, it means let your life be the the main conduct of pointing it to Jesus. Doesn't mean you can't speak, but you have to be careful. Right? You have to be careful. Okay? Um, there's going to be appropriate times when you need to. And you need to say something. And, you, and you're praying for Him. But, but it's, you know what, ladies? And, and for us guys too, it's easier many times to tell somebody what I believe than it is to live my life out so they see what I believe. I'm not saying we should not share the gospel with word. I'm not saying that. But Paul, Peter here seems to be saying in chapter 3 that they'll be won over, or the hope is that they'll be won over when they see your gentleness, okay? Your, your life and your action should preach the gospel to them. So let me ask some of the ladies. Is your life declaring the gospel to your husbands? Is your life declaring the gospel to your unsaved husband? Or is he seeing rebellion? Is he seeing lack of submission? Is he seeing anger? Is he seeing, you know, affront all the time? Something you have to deal with. We have to have a Christ-like attitude. And how do we do that? Look what he says. Through beauty. Verse 3. Do not, ladies, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but... Put that off. Put this on. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of gentle, quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, some people believe this text says women should not look nice, should not dress nice, or do their hair nice. Right? That's what they teach. Some of you may have heard that before. Some of you think it's crazy, but there are some that teach. The point and the principle is 
clear. Peter is emphasizing not external beauty, visible things that perish, but unseen spiritual beauty of the heart. The word adorning refers to something or some, something that someone does, the work that they do to make themselves beautiful. And the point is that Christian wives are to derive true beauty, ladies, you too, and attractiveness, not on outward things like braided hair, decoration of, of gold clothes, but inward qualities of life. Now, some of you have NIV, and in the NIV it says, braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, and or or the clothing you wear, the fine clothes. Right? You have the NIV, it says fine clothes. Not in the Greek. Okay? No adjective there in the Greek. There, there is no fine clothes, it just says clothes. So if somebody wants to take this verse to the wooden translation of it, no braided hair, no jewelry, and no clothes. We might be packed next week. So it doesn't mean that. It can't mean that. Okay? He doesn't say you can't look nice. What he's saying is don't let that drive you. Let that be subservient. Let your outer beauty be subservient to the inner beauty which is precious in God's sight. Right? And what's so interesting here too, and if you have your Bible open, I hope you do, the word in verse 5 when it says, no, not, no, not verse 5. Uh, hmm, their husbands, so Sarah the Lord. Okay, where it says, uh, one without a wife, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external braided hair and putting on a fine clothes, but let your adorning be hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So what he's saying is, this is what's really, really precious to you. Okay, this is, this is what God's is looking at in you. Okay? Put it this way. If the Bible is talking to men, and they may say this to men, it's kind of the same thing that they're saying to the women. Men, do not get your strength and your value and your worth from your job. Rather, get it from being created in the, ima- the Imago Dei, the image and likeness of God, and that you matter to Him. Oh, you'd be like, oh, okay, so my, my value, my dignity, my worth should not come from my job. It comes from who I am in Christ. I get that. I think I'll quit my job then. Right? But, ladies, the problem is, our culture bought into this. Our culture is hell-bent on trying to make women feel inferior, unlovable, because of outward appearances. And the pressure put on women today is nothing short of oppression. Literally, he says, let your inner spirit be that which is gentle and beautiful and precious in their in. God's eyes. So, while we're on the, while I'm, let me ask you ladies. How much time, right, not, what drives me is the inner beauty, not the external beauty. It's okay, dress up, look nice, be attractive, that's fine. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But what really matters is the inner beauty. Let me ask you. How much time a day, a week, a month do you spend getting the outer man, the outer woman to look nice? Which is fine, must be. Gym, clothing, hair, makeup. All the things you do. Very nice. How is that in comparison to what you do with this? 
reading the Scripture, loving Jesus, serving Jesus, growing in the inner person. Sometimes I think if we looked at the time we spend on either way, I think it would be somewhat revealing to whether we bought into the lie or not. Whether you bought into the lie or not. The ultimate motivation for women taking the time to adorn their souls, verse 4, is precious in the sight of God. Is precious in the sight of God. Now, I'm not saying, ladies, guys, you could thank me later for this, that you can't dress up and, and look nice. But you know the difference between attractive dress and provocative dress. Ladies want to dress nice? That's fine. I, in fact, I want to encourage you. You should not just say, well, I'm married now. It doesn't really matter. It does. <laughs> you can thank me later, guys. But what's more important is the inner beauty of a woman, particularly in a marriage. And we're going to get to that and what, what guys can do to help promote that in a minute, okay? In a minute. He says here, precious in the sight of God. Why? Why is it precious? Because when women adorn the inner beauty of their hearts in submission to their husband, in the love of Jesus, it shows the beauty of them trusting in Christ. Trusting in Christ. Okay? And, and, and I want to tell you, ladies, your value, your worth, your dignity comes from Jesus. Not the way men look at you. Not the way others stare at you. Not by getting men to turn their head at you. It's by Jesus. I love you and I'm telling you, it's by the Gospel. And when you embrace the Gospel, trust the Gospel, you are beautiful. Beautiful, 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 precious in the sight of God. You are His daughter. You're the daughter of a king. No circumstance, no outward beauty, no no no. Outward appearance can change that. Okay? It is not only imperishable beauty, but it says it will bring gentleness and a quiet spirit. The word gentle here is the word meekness. Strength under control. It doesn't mean you have to be quiet, don't say nothing, less seen, less heard. That's not what it means. It means knowing when to speak, knowing when not to speak. It's being prudent in our lives, gentle and submissive. My wife and I, you know, we have our ups and downs like the rest of you. And my wife, bless her heart, we had an argument. We have, a, you know, we have, our, we, have our, we have our conflict. And she comes to me crawling on her knees. And she says, Lou, get out from under that bed and get up here and fight like a man. She is following the example of Sarah. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. How did they do it? They did it by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. In that two verses, there are all kind of present participle verbs, meaning that it's a constant pattern of life of Sarah, of these women of old. First he says... The women of old. He's talking to generality of women. Okay? But here he talks about Sarah, Abraham's wife, who hoped in God and adorned herself with a submissive life. We just went through Genesis. Isn't that kind of weird? Like she, like there's some things. She's like, oh, sleep with my, uh, go have adultery, Abraham. Go ahead. Go sleep with Hagar. Right? Still fighting in the Middle East over that one. Okay? So she did not live it perfectly. 
What Peter is saying is, generally speaking, her life was a pattern of submission. She even called him Lord. So I am now Lord Lou, okay? My wife's going, I don't think so. And, and Katie's going to be listening on podcasts, so it's Lord Ricky, all right? We talked about, this, about it this week, so now she can hear that too. Okay, what she's saying is she respected him with her lips as well with her hearts. She, she didn't talk trash about him when he wasn't around. She didn't talk down to, about him when she was with her friends. Okay? That's what it means. And Peter says, you know, by doing that, you are her daughter. Now, when that means Sarah, as you know, is the wife of Abraham, who's the wife of the covenantal promise that was given to Abraham. So she becomes the mother of the covenant. You, by faith in Jesus, under the new covenant are now daughters of Sarah if you, what he says, I mean, look what he says, if you do good and not fear anything, that is frightening. In other words, ladies, there are going to be times, particularly in that culture, that you're going to have to say, I am not going into that prostitution hall. Or, you know, because there was all kinds of pagan worship. You know, there were some things that the husband would say, you're my wife, you do as I say in that culture particularly, and you have to say no. And he says, you know what? Fear God. Fear God. That's what he said. Because the word frightening here, or, or um, yeah, the word frightening is terrorized. Not fear anything that is terrorizing. God will be your vindication. That's what she's saying. And I will tell you, if you remember the story in Genesis, ladies, God came to Abraham and talked about her having a child. And what did she do? Laugh. Don't be like Sarah and laugh. Sarah learned repentance by doing good. Doing repentance and did good, I should say. Let's not laugh at the Word of God. Let's submit to it. God will be honored. God will be glorified. You will get joy. Okay? Responsibilities of the husband. Okay, guys, hold on. His behavior. Likewise, husbands, live well with your wives in an understanding way. Or in NIV has, be considerate. Likewise, does not mean that husband is to abdicate his leadership and his headship. But Peter is not saying that we should submit in the same way. But in the marriage, we are to live together with our wives in an understanding and considerate ways. Okay? That means that he... You and I, and guys, if you're not married and you're going to be married, you need to understand we need to be well-versed concerning her needs, her desires, her uniqueness as a woman, what she likes and doesn't like. I've given out this book several times, Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages. Find out what her love language is. Love her that way. The word understanding is the word gnosis, meaning intimate knowledge. It's the same word used in the Greek Old Testament to when it says Adam knew Eve and she conceived. There's intimacy there. Okay? We're not just talking about, I know she likes two sugars in her coffee. Anybody can know that. What does she really love? What does she really enjoy? Her hair caressed. Her feet rubbed. Encouraging words. Small gifts. Whatever it is, you men, husbands, should know how to love your wife intimately. Not just sexual, but what really strengthens her, encourages her, fills her love tank, as, as uh, Gary Smalley likes to use. You should know that. The word knowledge, some people say, Peter uses it in another way, in, in Second Peter, about the knowledge of God. 
the knowledge of Christ. And they say, well, uh, you know, what he's talking about is having the knowledge of which God wants us to do or how he wants us to live, guys, in the marriage. I think both are right. I think God wants to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And how are we to do that? By knowing her intimately. Spend time with her. Talk with her. Okay? Love her as nobody else can. And know that God requires us men, us as men, to do so. And what, how do we do that? Look what it says. By showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay? So that your prayers may not be hindered. What I found interesting in this, in this text here, it says, live with your wives. In the original, the word wives isn't there. Only the word woman. So it says, likewise, husbands live with or, or live in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, the word woman is, is not the noun that's usually used in chapter 3, verse 1. Um, gune. Peter uses a different word, and it literally means female. Okay? And, and a lot of people, you know, they just glass over that and say, well, what he meant is wives. And he did. And he did. But could it be, guys, could it be that Peter is telling the men, the husbands, to not only treat their wives honorably and and what we're going to look at, but also their daughters? The women in their home? And that's why he used the word female instead of just simply wives. It would cover wives. It would cover unbelieving wives. It would also cover the children in your home. The girls in your home. Okay, I think I think that's a very possible interpretation. All right, here we go. Look at verse uh, Ephesians five. I got it up there for you. How do we to honor and cherish our wives? Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its savior. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay? So we're to honor and love and cherish our wives. Remember, guys, honor means value. Honor means admire. Honor means appreciate them. Right? To dishonor them would to view them as having little or no value. They're not important. How we live our lives, how we function in our homes, how we behave with our wives shows them how much value we put on them. Okay? Just as Jesus laid down his life, was flogged, was beaten, nails and spikes driven through his hands, nailed to a Roman cross, Peter says here that we are to honor them, sacrifice for them, love them as a weaker vessel. doesn't mean they're intellectually inferior, which we already know that to be true, right? It doesn't mean that women are weaker emotionally. Guys, we break down too. In fact, women in some sense who have the courage and strength to share their feelings... You know, that takes courage. And I think that shows that sometimes they can even be stronger emotionally. Peter's not saying that women are weaker morally or spiritually. They share, as you see in this passage, in the grace of God with us. Here's what Peter's talking about. Three o'clock in the morning. You hear glass shatter. Sounds like somebody's downstairs. You run in the closet and say, honey, go down there and find out what's going on. That's what he's talking about. No, no, no. Get the gun, lock yourself in there, do what you got to do. That's what you tell them. Right? Y'all going down. I'm going down to find out what's going on. 
Not like, honey, you can come out of the closet now. You know, it, it's all safe. I checked it out. You know, no. Stronger. Physically. Stronger. That's what he's talking about. Okay? How are we to treat our tribes? How are we to treat our wives? Guys like this. Think of it this way. Delicate, expensive, porcelain. A beautiful, porcelain, expensive vase. Okay? What are we? We are the metal green dented thermos. That's the difference. Okay? That's what he's saying. We're called to lead our families lovingly, sacrificially, respectfully, uh, respectfully, honorably, care for and provide for them. It's called headship. And guys, I'm going to put you to the test. Come on. When I mention the word men are to be the head of their home, what's the first word that comes to mind? Responsibility. I don't want to put anybody out there, but that's the word. Take responsibility. The Bible calls marriage a covenant. And God has given husbands the role in the covenant to be the head of the covenant. And therefore, they're responsible for their wives and their families. Adam and Eve sinned. Both rebelled. Both are at fault. Both get cursed. And God says to Adam, you're responsible. That's what he says. And some men, let's be honest, hate responsibility. Or they hate headship because they hate responsibility. Like Adam, let's be honest, guys, like Adam's, you're the, you're the dented green thermos. We could handle this. Just like Adam, we'd rather sit around and play video games and take responsibility in our homes. Some men never grow up. Some men just never grow up. It's still tied to the mama's umbilical cord. Okay, ladies, if you're dating a guy like that, if uh, his mother's still feeding him and his mother's still doing his laundry, run. That's what I would tell you. Some men just won't take responsibility. The other extreme is some men hear things like submission and headship and they love it because they're bullies. And they're thugs. And they want to be gangsters, right? And they see words like that and they're like, yes, this is for me. Right? I like this. I'm going to find me a girl to marry. I don't take responsibility for myself, but I think I can take responsibility for a home. Not going to happen. Chauvinism, dictatorship has no place in Scripture or the man of God. You see, a thug is a man who wants to be king but does not want to submit to King Jesus. That's the truth. He wants to be the head, but he does not want to submit to the head, which is Jesus. Guys, we are not the ultimate authority. Christ is. We are not the ultimate authority. Christ is. And you also, men, need to submit to the law and need to submit to the church. I know, counterculture message. I'm just a mailman delivering the mail. Take it up with God. Mark Driscoll gives eight things. You guys want to jot this down. I'll go through them quickly. Eight ways that we can honor our spouses. Okay, guys, you ready? Number one, I'll do it quickly. Honor her maritally, right? Be a one-woman guy. Faithful to your wife. Don't be a flirt, okay? Don't be a flirt. And if you're single, don't be the guy checking out all of all the, you know, the property out there and all of God's you know, lovely daughters, okay? Don't be that guy, right? Show her you love her, that you honor her inner beauty, Right? We're all getting older. Let's be honest. No matter how beautiful somebody is today, it's not going to be the same 30 years from now. Chase her around the house naked anyway. That's what I would say. (laughs) But show her what you care about her is her. Okay? Let your actions speak of the honor and devotion you have to her. Honor her physically. Marily physically. Be strong for her. Be protective of her. 
Never put your hand on her. Never intimidate her with harm. Right? Don't let her be the one who's afraid to talk because you're going to have a sissy baby meltdown. Don't be that guy. Honor her physically. Honor her emotionally. Oh, she's all, she's all emotional. I know. I got four daughters and a wife. I get it. <laughs> Love her emotionally. Figure it out. Work at it. Work at it. It won't come easy, but I'll tell you something. Ladies and men have the same emotions. They show it differently. They may express it differently, but I get angry just like my wife gets angry. I'm hurt just like when she gets hurt. I feel betrayed just like when she gets feel betrayed. We may do it differently, but we, you know, honor her. The husband who's sensitive to his wife's feelings is a wise man. William Barclay said this, The cruelty which is hardest to bear is often not deliberate, deliberate, but the product of sheer thoughtlessness. To be a woman who just, he never thinks of me. Don't be that guy. Honor her verbally. Don't talk trash with your friends. Whether she's present or not present. Don't be the jerk that talks about her. Don't verbally abuse her. Honor her verbally. Watch your words. They cut so deep. Okay? Honor her financially. Provide for the family. Organize your budget. Be generous to your wife. I I get sometimes guys are home and they, they hurt themselves or, you know, things like that. But generally speaking, honor her financially. Work hard. Vert number six. Honor her practically. Consider her needs and how you can be a servant leader. Jesus said, blessed is the man who gives, then receives. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, serving the needs of your spouse so that she feels honored and valued will be wonderful in your home. Will be wonderful in your home. Honor her parentally. If you guys got kids, it is not her job to raise the kids. It's not. Now, you ought to do it together, yes, but who's responsible? Men. Oh, it kills me. Oh, yeah, that, you know, kids are wild. Mom's trying to get all the kids together. The father's drinking a latte. I'm going to slap it out of his hand. Like, take care of your kids, dude. You know what I mean? Love her. Be pastor dad, man. Love your kids. Pray with your kids. Raise your kids, all right? I know it's together. I get that, but you're responsible. And finally, honor her spiritually, okay? Initiate and lead prayer. I blow it on this one. I, I pray with so many people. I need to pray with my wife more. Talk to her about Jesus. Take responsibility for the church. Don't, don't be the one she's dragging out of bed. Take the initiative and go. Take the initiative and go to community group, right? And what happens when you fail? Look, 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 at, the, look at the end here. Look what happens. Guys, this, is, this should shake us right here. Look. Husband, love your wives as weaker vessels as they are. Heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let me point out number one. One of the barriers is when we don't treat our wives this way, honorably, lovingly, sacrificially, and, and, and provide and care and love and protect her. Do you realize, guys, if you're not married, you're going to be someday. Do you realize that standing behind our wives is her daddy? You know who her daddy is? God Almighty, King Jesus, is her daddy. So if you wouldn't treat her a certain way, if King Jesus was sitting next to her, then don't do it. She's co-heirs with you 